Hey, today we are starting a brand new series uh, called Money Talks. And I know everybody always says, well, that's all churches ever talk about is money. And I, so if you're thinking that, I already know that you're thinking that. But let me tell you, it's not. In fact, uh, I keep sermon calendars just so that I know what we've talked about. And I can tell you that in the six years that I've been preaching here, this is just the second series that we've done where money and finances were the focal point. And so that means of the 289 sermons that I've preached. So kudos to you all. You all have sat through 289 sermons of mine to this point. Kudos to, I'm, kudos to you all. I said, some of you all didn't catch that joke. And I'm like, of the 289 sermons that I've preached since being the senior minister, only four of those sermons have primarily been about money. And so I know peop, the, the, the stigma is that that's all churches ever want to talk about is money. Just give your money and give your money and give your money. And that's all we ever talk about. It's not. Okay? And, and I can prove it. But, but here's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about money because money is an extremely important topic that Scripture speaks about a lot. And so we're going to jump right in um, to, to the Scripture today. Uh, if you've got a Bible, flip over to Proverbs chapter 22, that, uh, 22, 7. That's going to be kind of our theme verse for today. We're going to look at some of the things that Jesus said. In fact, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus uh, talked about um, in just a moment. But here's what the writer of Proverbs says about money. Proverbs 22, 7, it says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. What's he say the borrower is? It's, the borrower is what? Servant, yeah, some of you all didn't read that. Read it, say it a little bit louder. The borrower is what? Is, yeah, the servant to the lender. The Hebrew word that, that is used here as servant is the word abed. And it literally means servant or, or um, slave. It means bondage. If you are in debt, what they're saying here is you are a slave to bondage. You are in bondage. Do you know this, and I'm sure you probably do, the vast majority of Americans are in financial bondage? We are slaves to our finances. How do you know if you're in a financial bondage? Well, if you've ever said things like this, well, man, I would love to be able to help somebody out. I would love to give them something. I would love to, to be able to give to a charity. Uh, but it's the middle of the month, and I don't get paid till the first of the month. And I just don't know if, I'm, if there's going to be enough money for me to pay the rest of my bills financial bondage if you've ever said things like hey i'd love to be able to to, to tithe i'd love to give 10 percent to the church to give back what god has given me but i'm just not certain that there's going to be enough there financial bondage if, if you've ever thought about hey you know you want to go on a mission trip you know maybe god's calling you to go do something and you're hey i would love to go on this mission trip this mission experience but can't afford it financial bondage if, if you ever had whatever your it is that, that breaks again, and I don't know what your it is, but maybe it's a, a car, refrigerator, air conditioner, whatever. Mine is my kidneys. Every time I, ha I have a kidney stone and I have to have a procedure to get it, get it taken care of, I get that paid off, it's about time to have another kidney stone. Whatever your it is that, that breaks again and you're kind of freaking out about it, financial bondage. I hear this all the time from young couples. Young couples say, hey, we want to get married. We're in love. Okay. All the songs on, all the love songs on the radio, they make sense. Okay. We want to get married, but we don't have enough money. Bondage. Young couple gets married and say, hey, we want to start a family. We believe that children are a blessing from the Lord, but we can't afford them. Bondage. We've got two kids. We'd love to have three, but we don't have enough money. Bondage. 
People say things like this all the time. Hey, my wife would give anything to, to be able to not have to work, to stay at home with the kids, but, but she can't. She has to work. We both have to work. We, we don't have a choice. Bondage. The borrower is a bed, slave, in bondage to the lender. And let me tell you something that you all already all know. Financial bondage, it hurts. So why are we going to spend this week and the next three weeks talking about money? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 21, he said, For where your treasure is, there your what is? Your heart is also. Jesus talked a lot about money. And the truth is, is that as Americans, we're not very good with money. You know this, according to Forbes, Forbes magazine, the average American spends $1.29 for every dollar that they earn. Let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink in. The average American spends $1.29 for every dollar that they earn. Uh, let that sink in. There's a couple things we need to understand about that. Number one is that boat won't float very long, will it? But the second thing that we need to understand about that, what this stat tells us, is that it very, very plainly tells us where our treasure is in this world. I want you to think about this. If we live in the most prosperous country in the world, and we do, and yet we can't live within our means, and we need more than what we make, thinking that that's going to make us happy, then our treasure is in this world. And if our treasure is here, it is here in this world, guess what else is there? Our hearts. And if we're followers of Christ, that's a problem. Because our hearts should be following who? Christ, not our wallets. So again, why talk about money in the church? Well, let me just tell you a couple, give you a couple more things that you, you may not have realized. The parables that Jesus told, you know, the little stories that he told to, to, to teach the disciples and to teach uh, people little life lessons. Um, did you know this? Two-thirds of the parables that he told pertain to money and possession. 66% of, of those little parables that we love to quote, they all deal with money or, or, or possessions. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books that give us the account of Jesus' life, did you know that one in ten verses deal directly with money? One in ten that give us the life of Jesus. In all of Scripture, over 2,300 verses talk about money. That's five times as many verses that talk about prayer. That's five times as many verses that talk about faith. Managing wisely God's resources is a profoundly spiritual topic. And we're going to talk about money for the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about the problem with money. And what's the big problem today? Well, the big problem for, for the majority of Americans is that we've bought into some financial lies that, that our society, that our culture has, has just kind of sold us. For example, let me, let me give you a couple examples of this. How many of you would say that you hope your children would end up better off than you, do, than you are one day or that you want your kids to have more than you had growing up? Anybody else say that? Go ahead, raise your hand. It's, it's, it's a safe place in here. And I'll tell you, I am guilty as charged, right? I've said that too. You know what the problem with that is? Is that it becomes a problem for our kids. Because when our kids become 25 years old, they try to obtain the same lifestyle that it took their parents 30 years of adulthood to obtain. And you know what, how they will do it? They will do it with debt. They will leverage themselves out the wazoo to live like their parents are living now after 30 years of progress. Other lies that we have bought into... Um, we've bought into the lie that we have to have the latest and greatest gadget, that that's what's going to make us happy, right? 
That there are just certain things that if we don't have them in our life, we will not be happy. I know people today who honestly believe that if, if they don't have a, the, a flat screen plasma, 4K uh, HD television, that they won't be happy. That they're not going to be able to watch Kentucky lose football games on that screen. And they're not... Yeah, sorry, did I say that out loud? Um, but they can't be happy. People believe they have to have these things. This thing right here, this little gadget here. Every one of us have one, whether it's a, a Samsung or an iPhone or whatever, but we all ha think we have to have a smartphone to function in this life. And here's, the, here's the, the ironic thing about all of these things that we think that we have to have, is that most of them didn't exist 20 years ago. This world got along just fine without all of those things. I mean, iPhones, they've been around, what, 15, 20 years we got along just fine without them, and now we're like, if, if we're separated from them more than a few moments, we're going to go into a panic attack, and we, we feel like we have to have it, right? It's a lie. We don't have to have them. Here's a couple other uh, lies, and there, there are millions of them. One of them is that, that we've bought into is that you know, you're just always going to have a car payment. You, you're just always going to have a car payment. And, and I'll tell you, that is the truth if you believe it. It will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But it doesn't have to be. In fact, it shouldn't be true at all. One of the most foolish places that you're ever going to leverage yourself is, is on a depreciating asset that, that drops 20% as soon as you drive it off the lot. And I'm going to tell you right now, full disclosure, I have a car payment. I'm not happy about it, but I have one. Um, but I can tell you, I, don't, I haven't always had a car payment. Um, in fact, for about three years before I bought the current vehicle that I drive, I didn't have a car payment. And you know what I was able to do during that time? I was able to pay off debt. I was able to get out of some debt. But, but we believe things like that. And here's what's happened. Is that businesses for years have been very successful at marketing debt. And they've succeeded in convincing a generation of Americans to feel good about being in bondage, about being in slavery, about being in debt. We, we say things like, hey, I got another credit card in the mail. Praise God. God didn't send you that credit card. Let me ask this question. How many of you own a business? You, you have a small business? You, anybody, anybody in here have a, have a business? A couple of you? Let me help change a thought process for us in just a minute. Because here's kind of our key thought for, for today. It's this. is that God has given every single one of you a business. God has given every single one of us a business. Well, what do you mean by that, Adam? Well, let's go back to the parables that Jesus taught. That he taught about money and possessions. There's a principle at play in every single one of them. There's the same principle that is in play in all of the parables. The parable about the shrewd managers. Uh, the parable about the, the wise and foolish stewards. The parable about the talents. The par all of those parables, there's, a, there's a, a principle at play. In fact, let's just read one of them. Matthew 25, if you've got a Bible, flip over there. Matthew 25, we're going to start at verse 14. This is one of the parables that Jesus tells that deals about money and finances. Here it is. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, and to another two bags, and to another one one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who had received five bags of gold went at once, and he put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. 
Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold, he also came and he said, Master, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and he said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And so I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have my money back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. For whoever does not have, even what they will have will be taken from them, and they will be thrown and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. There's a principle at play in this parable, and it's at play in all of the parables that Jesus talks about with money and finances. There's the overriding driving principle that God owns all of it. That all of the things that we have, all of the money, all of the possessions, everything that we have, it's God's. He owns all of it. And because God loves you, He trusts you to manage His resources. In a very real sense, you are a manager of God's business. And then guess what? God loves to reward faithful business managers. God loves to reward faithful business managers. He loves to give more to those who are faithful. And listen, that's not prosperity gospel preaching either. Like I know somebody hears that and they say, oh, you know, just Adam saying, give all your money to the church and God will give you more. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying God rewards those who are faithful. It's, it's the principle that's at play in every parable that Jesus teaches about money. That God rewards those, are who, those who are faithful. And guess what he does to those who are unfaithful? He takes away. He takes away. When you start to see your finances as God's business, it will radically change the way that you do everything. It will change the way that you manage your finances. And so I hope that you will embrace that change of mindset. Now here's another question for us. Why do the majority of small businesses fail? I asked you how many of you own a business and now I'm telling you that you are a business manager. God's business is your business. So, so how, why do small businesses fail? You can read any article in Forbes or, or any of the USA Today or whatever, any of the financial magazines, and they will tell you why. It's because the majority of small businesses don't plan. They don't plan. So here's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to devise our own personal business plan. And, and I'm going to tell you where we're going to go in, in, the, in the next few weeks, but, but we're going to develop our own personal business plan. I love what J.C. Penney said. J.C. Penney said this. He said, give me a store clerk with a goal, and I will give you a person who will change the world. But give me a person without a goal, and I'll show you a store clerk. We're going to sit, and we're going to seek God, and we're going to hear from God, and we're going to live according to the plan that God gives us to manage his business. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plan of the diligent leads to profit, 
the plan of the diligent, right? So there's, that means we have to plan for this. He says, the plan of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Planning, seeking God, it leads to prosperity and blessings as, and profit as surely as haste leads to, pro, to poverty. So why do the majority of our, of our personal businesses fail? It's because we don't plan. We're going to set a plan. And so here's, here's an assignment. Here's some homework for you to do this week. And it's real simple. All right? Your one assignment for this week is to define what your mission or your vision is. Define what your personal mission and vision is. We spend a lot of time at this church talking about mission, right? What, what is our mission as a church? What is our mission? All right, we say that every Sunday. You all can do a lot better than that. Our mission at this church is to what? It is to lead people to love and follow Jesus. That's it. That's our mission. We, we talk about it every Sunday. And I, let me just tell you, every decision that we make as a leadership with, uh, with our, the programs that we do, with our finances, are all, cornered to, are all glued to that mission statement. To lead people to love and follow Jesus. If, if whatever we're thinking about doing doesn't help us lead people to love and follow Jesus, guess what? We're not going to do it. It doesn't make sense for us because it's not part of our mission. If we want to spend some money on something and it's not going to help us lead people to love and follow Jesus, guess what? We shouldn't spend money on it. Because it's not, it doesn't help accelerate the mission. What is your mission in life? What is your own personal mission? What is God calling you to be about? Let me give you an illustration to help, help you think about this. Let's play a little game. This is a, this is a participation game. So, okay, so I'm going to ask you to raise your hands and be a part of this, all right? I'm going to throw out a scenario for you, and you just raise your hand if it fits you. Let's say I had the ability to offer you a job in a different city, doing basically the same work that you're doing now. So it's, it's not any different job. It's the same job just in a different city uh, of what you're doing right now. And I'm going to offer you this job, and I'm going to offer it to you with a $120 a year raise. All right? It's just $120 extra a year, so do the math. That's $10 more a month. How many of you would say, hey, I'm willing to move to a new city, a new town, and start all over for an extra $10 a month? Anybody? Yeah, I didn't think so. All right. Let me raise the offer. Let's, make it a little, let's try to make it a little more interesting. What if you got $1,200 extra a year? All right, so that's a little, little more money, right? That's an extra 100 bucks a month. How many of you would say, hey, I think I might be a taker there. I might, for an extra $100 a month, move to a new city and do the same job that I'm doing right now. Anybody? Yeah, no, probably not, right? All right, let's, let's make it really interesting. This, this one, I think, will be a little tougher to say no. Let's say $12,000 a year. All right, now we're talking, we're talking a real, some real money here. An extra $1,000 a month. What could you do with it? What would you do with it? How many of you would say for an extra twelve grand a year, I think I might move to a new city? Anybody? Nobody? Wow. I thought, I thought for sure, like there'd be a couple of you that, yeah, for an extra twelve grand, I, I would do that. All right. Well, good thing you all held out because I'm going to offer you some big money now. What if I could offer you this? Check this out $120,000 extra a year. That's, that's an extra $10,000 a month. Now you're well into six figures. How many of you would you, you say for an extra $120,000 a year, an extra $10,000 a month, I would move to a different city and do the same job that I'm doing right now? All right, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, almost, almost everybody. Like, it would be very difficult to turn that down, right? 
And let me just tell you something, and, and I want to say this as humbly as possible, and please don't read anything into any, any more into what I'm about to say, okay? There are churches across our country that would gladly pay me that much more than I'm making today if I went and pastored that church. And I'm not saying that trying to leverage or raise or anything like that, okay? That, that's, that's not what I'm saying. And out of my pride, I'm not going to ask you how many of you think I should take that, okay? Oh, uh, wait just a minute, all right? Now, why is it all right for you all to have a price? Like, I'll sell out and move to a new city, but I can't, right? Oh, because you're the preacher, right? Well, let me just say up front, my family is very well cared for in this church, and we're, we're not going anywhere, and that might be a disappointment to some of you. But, I, but really, let me ask that question. Why would it be okay for, for you to go and not for me? Because, right, you, you've just admitted that there's a price, right? You have a price. As the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase used to say, everybody has a price. Are you going to insult yourself so much to say that I shouldn't be bought, but you have a price? Here's, the, here's, the, here's what I'm getting at. What's your mission? What's your mission? Because you want to be driven by God's mission for you, not by dollars. Right? That's what we want to drive our decisions. God's mission for us, not, not our dollars, not our wallets. Because the bottom line is, friends, Scripture says this, you cannot love God and money both. You want to be driven and led by God, not by dollars. So what's your vision? What's your mission? What is God calling you to be about? Because when you know what God is calling you to be about, when you know what your mission is, then that changes everything. It, it's what drives your decisions, not your wallet. Could it be? Could your vision, your mission could be something as simple as this, that your kids have a Christian education. So, so that you're not normal so to speak right everybody thinks normal is you know you drive a thirty thousand dollar car with with leather on your butt but you don't care about leather so you you use cloth you right you 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 drive a car with cloth seats and you'll take cloth because you're so in love with with the idea of your kids having a christian education right that you're willing to, to sacrifice that you're willing to not have that so your kids can have this you might not even have a, a car in your window that goes up and down on its own right you might have to use the old crank style right and that's okay because that's consistent with your vision. That's consistent with what God is, is what, you're, what you're praying for from God. Maybe for you it's that you, know, you live in this tiny little cramped home so that you can fulfill your vision. And you're joyful to do it because it's your vision. It's not somebody else's. It's your vision. And maybe, maybe it is that your vision is for, for you and your spouse both, both to work so that, you know, it, for three years so that both of you can be debt free forever. That's your vision. Maybe you're not married and, and, and you, you're generous. You want to be able to be more generous. And so you take in roommates so that your expenses go down and so that your ability to give goes up. That's your vision. What is your vision? What is your mission? You've got to define it. You've got to know it. You've got to seek God for it. And then you don't move to a new city for money unless maybe your vision is to live so simply that you can give so much. And then, you know, 120 grand, it gives you the ability to, to give more. What's your vision? It's a, it's a vision-driven decision, not a, a selfishly motive financial decision. What's your vision? What's your, what's your mission? And here's what I hope. I hope that Romans 13.8 becomes a part of your personal mission and vision. But let me just say before we read this verse, that let me just say for the record, being in debt is not a sin. Being in debt is dangerous. Um, but it's not a sin. House debt, there's some, there's some debt that is wise to have. House debt is probably the wisest debt. Some business debt is good to leverage and, and help your business. But too much debt is always dangerous. Consumer debt will always and is taking you out. But here's what the Bible says. And I hope this will be a part of your mission and vision. Romans 13.8, Paul says this. 
says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Wouldn't it be great to not have a debt to anyone except God to love people? That that was the only debt that we owed was to God and, and, and our payment was to love people. I, I want you to visualize this. I want, you to, I want you to feel it. I want you to have hope and passion to believe that this is possible because it is possible. Especially for some of you that are, that are younger and you haven't dug yourself into too deep of a financial hole yet. You make some wise decisions over the next couple of years and, and you could be debt free forever. Imagine that. No more student loan payments. What would it feel like to not have that hanging over your head? No more car payments. What would it feel like to have that not hanging over your head? Imagine no house payment. What would you do, right? Right now, when I said that, no more house payments, a lot of you just kind of glazed over like that. the electric bills do, and, and I don't have the money. What are you talking about? No house payment. It's not possible. It's not impossible. A couple of a years of, of discipline and hard work, and it is possible. You save up, you put 20% down on a house, put it on a 15-year note, you've got no car payments, you pay a little extra, you're debt-free in seven years. Your house is paid for. It is possible. But understand this, you've got to be weird. You can't be normal. Right? You, can't, you, you can't follow the status quo. You've you got to be weird. You've got to be intentional. Because normal is fighting and hurting and worrying and stressing and, and panic and materialism. And that normal, it's a choice. But so is living opposite of that. Being intentional about your finances, that's also a choice. Many of you probably know who Dave Ramsey is. Uh, Larry's going to call me a hypocrite for this because I, I'm referencing Dave Ramsey. Uh, Dave Ramsey is, if you've never heard of him, look him up, but he's probably the most well-known teacher on the subject of money. He's a strong Christian man. He's probably the best Christian uh, teacher out there when it comes to the subject of money. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not a fan of Dave Ramsey, and I'll tell you why. Because he and I have personalities that don't go together. Uh, the way that he communicates and the way that I communicate are at odds with one another, and, and so it drives me nuts. And so I will tell you this. I think all of the stuff that Dave Ramsey has out there about money and finances, it's great. It's accurate. It's true. And, and you should live by it. And Dave Ramsey, he says this. He says, he, he calls this decision to be, uh, to not be normal. This, um, to get to that point where, where to do whatever it takes, he calls it gazelle intensity. He says, you got to have gazelle intensity. And he says it because, have you ever seen a gazelle be chased by a lion? Like you've been watching National Geographic or something, and you see a lion chasing after it. What does that gazelle have? Intensity, right? Like this dude is going to get away because he is running for his life. His life depends on him getting away from this. Let me just tell you, you are fighting for your financial life. Proverbs 6.5 says this. He says, free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Proverbs 22, 7, it's where we started and it's where we're going to finish. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is what? Servant. Yeah, they're slave to the lender. And we as followers of Christ, we can't have our hearts in this world and, in, and follow Christ too. It just doesn't work that way. We can't be. We cannot be a servant or slave to anyone or anything other than Jesus. So let no debt remain outstanding. Except the continual debt to love one another. And you know how you do that? You know what your mission and your vision as individuals are. We have a mission as a church to lead people to love and follow Jesus. But you individually, you have to have a mission. 
You have to know what God is calling you to do. And when you know what God is calling you to do, it affects every aspect of your life. And every decision that you make, even your financial decisions, will be driven by that. So what's your vision? What's your mission? Get it. Embrace it. Seek God for it. And then live according to it. Let me pray for us.